You're listening to King Jesus Radio, the official podcast of New Living Way Church. We live in a world today where there are many things we're not sure if we should say. There's many things we want to say, but we shouldn't say. And sometimes there's many things we want to say that we just don't know how to say. And we hear many times, watch your words. Well, in tonight's Bible study, there is one thing we can't have confidence in. And that is a confidence in being able to speak freely of who Jesus is. Because there's no changing who he is and all that he has done and all that is still to come. Because he is faithful to his word. God bless you. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 36. Amen. And I'll start, I'll start to read here. Let's see everybody gets there. Okay, so it says here in verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made me known. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into the heavens but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Father, we just thank you for this word. We thank you, Father God, Lord Jesus, for Father, just allowing us, Father, to be able to study this word, Lord, and we thank you, Father, that it is you speaking to us this night, Father. And Heavenly Father, I just ask you that by your Spirit, Lord, that you would teach us, instruct us, Father, and help us to apply it, Father, Lord, to everything that we learn here tonight, Father. We just thank you this night, Father, and we bless your holy name, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this will be our key scripture tonight. We'll be in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 36. And we're going to just be going verse by verse going through this chapter here. But one of the things I did want to kind of point out here as I, as I open this up right here is 
One of the things we got to realize is when we're looking at the context of the scripture is in these portions of scripture, he is actually, they're speaking to the men of Israel as it opens up men of Israel. They're talking to those that had at least knowledge of the law, had knowledge of, you know, the different things of the law of the word of God at that time. So everything that we're we're seeing here is to those that have some idea and knowledge of where these scriptures are coming from and their thoughts and how they've always been taught how it's going. So remember the, the gospel is open to the, all the Gentiles but as we go through the book of Acts they really don't come to fully recognize that the gospel is not only for Israel and the Holy Spirit is not only for Israel but they come to realize that the gospel of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Amen. But this is something they learn along the way. So you, as we look at scripture here even though you hear they're, what's it called? We're looking at the context into the type of people they're talking to, so therefore we can have an understanding of why the scriptures are being said the way they're saying. So that's just a little background on it. Doesn't mean we can't pertain the scripture to us because we realize and know that the scripture is for us as well. Because the Bible says that we have been grafted in. We are all now one in Christ. Okay? So I just want to lay that out real quick. So in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. So this is still part of when they were standing with the eleven in, the, in, the, in what we read last week. And they spoke on the prophet Joel. This is what's going on. This prophecy has been fulfilled. So now this is a continuation of this message that is going forward in this. And he's saying, hear these words. So now he's getting their attention. He's grabbing their attention as a preacher, minister, anyone who is declaring the word of God, or anybody who's trying to teach or share something with somebody. You definitely, what do you, you want their attention for it, right? So he's telling them, listen to these words, hear these words. How many of us know that there's a difference between hearing and listening? Absolutely. What's the difference? Uh, yes, Summer. You can hear something, but it doesn't mean you're listening and taking in what being said, like for example, uh, there's so many times when I'm watching TV it's, just for the background noise and uh, Oh, that's, that's a good example. Yeah. Listen. You're not really listening to it. Yeah, I hear you. Everybody kind of been, you guys agreement with that? It's about the same thing. Hearing and listening are different. If you got kids, you definitely know the difference between hearing and listening. Because you realize they're not hearing and listening to you. You know, you, you realize when they're hearing you or they're actually listening to you. And then sometimes they may act like they're listening to you and they did listen to you, but they're going to act like they only heard you. <laughs> so, but then we also do that with them as well. So we're, we're just as guilty as, as kids are. So that's just a little, uh, so he's telling them right here, hear these words. So he's looking to get their attention. He wants them to grasp and grab onto what is being said in this next portion that he's going to be speaking to them about. So men of Israel, hear these words. This is how he opens it up. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. So he's telling them, he gets their attention. He tells them, hear these words, and now he's bringing up the very person that they crucified. The very person who these people thought, well, if we kill him, then we can get rid of him. But right here, the name of Jesus is now being declared. He starts this off with Jesus of Nazareth. You got to imagine that's not going to be taken very well when there was a bunch of people that didn't like Jesus, that wanted and were there to 
shalt crucify him. They wanted him gone. So what I want to clarify in this portion right here is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I learned something as I was studying this and looking at this. And many times I had, you know, there was always this little bit of confusion many times that because Jesus was from Nazareth, that he was a Nazarite. But that's not the case. A Nazarite is actually found in the book of um, Numbers chapter 6, I believe, verse 1 through 21. And what a Nazarite is, is one that has dedicated their life, their, 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 their certain time, or even their life to God. And they went by three vows, and in those vows, it was to not cut their hair, not to touch any strong drink or anything that had to do with the vine, such as grapes and all those. And the other one is they could not touch a dead body, or they would be considered breaking that vow. The least amount of time they could do it was for 30 days, and some were able to do it for a lifetime. And and many times in that, it's... Um, Yeah, the three people that did that, we know in the Bible, is Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. They were called from birth in that Nazarite vow. Okay, so with that Nazarite vow, it was something that if a husband said his wife, because it was open for men and women, men and women can make this Nazarite vow, which is not something you always saw in the Old Testament. But this one, the men and women could do that. And in that, if the husband decided that he did not want his wife to fulfill that vow, the husband had the right to void that vow. And the same with a parent with the, with the daughter. They could do that as well. They can just, you know, pull out that vow, take them out of that vow from that. But that was the only way that you could be out of that vow. And this was a very strong vow. And all it really is, is just a life. You're just dedicating your life to God. And an example of that would be, you know, because it says no strong drink, no wine, none of that. And what the, the thought is, is that it's supposed to, so you could come to a place where God is your everything and he is your joy. He is your source and all your joy and your merriness, everything is found in him. So that was that term and that time for that dedication. And as I said earlier, Samson, Samuel and John, John the Baptist were also called into that vow. And they had that vow. Many parents would make that vow for their kids and it would be for their lifetime. But that's not what it means when it's saying Jesus of Nazareth. When it's referring to Jesus of Nazareth, it's talking about from where he came from, where he lived. So this is the difference in that. So many times, you know, we might get it, you know, confused in there, but they're two different things. And remember, and just a little side note, on the Old Testament Nazarite law, the, the Nazarite, in the New Testament, the Bible says that our body should be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. So even in that, it's still a life dedicated unto God. So that's still a part of our, of our you know, Christian walk as well. Yes, I'm Yes. Um, I don't think Jesus took the vow. Like, for example, he just does like turn water to wine and then um, in the Passover, he served wine. Yeah. And, he, and he was famous for... Not following the typical Jewish rules, and made a lot of people mad. He did it for good reasons. Yeah, yeah. Did a lot of healing, but the Jewish people weren't focused on that part. They're focused on, we're not supposed to do any work. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like the way you put that, Summer. I'm gonna have that in my mind every time I read that in the Bible. Now be, ooh, look what Jesus did. Look, what, I like that. Thank you, Summer. I, I love that. I, I like that right there. Amen. Well, yeah, and that's pretty much all it's referring to. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Let's see how Jesus got there. Because was Jesus born in Nazareth? No. no. Okay, no. Where was he born? 
He was born in Bethlehem, right? Okay, so he was born in Bethlehem. So right here we're going to find out how he ended up in Nazareth. And how many of us know that many of us are not, we're not in the same place we were when we were born, right? We tend to end up moving and stuff like that. Okay. Matthew, what, Pastor? Um, Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And actually we'll look at, we'll start at verse 19. And it says here, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Because Joseph had taken Jesus and taken Mary, and they went to live in Egypt. Saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay, so this is how Jesus ended up in Nazareth and ended up growing up in Nazareth. You know, he was on his way. And in that portion of scripture, when it says that this is, it was fulfilled by what the prophets spoke, it's actually not really found in the scripture. So it's unknown if it was an Old Testament prophecy that maybe was not included in the Bible, or some refer it to Isaiah 11.1, 1, and there's a word by, we're going to go there a little bit later, but there's a word in there that's considered branch, that's close to that, to that word, I guess the root word, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's up for grabs on that, so there's no definite answer on that, all we know is that's what the scripture says. But in this portion, what I wanted to focus on is, this is how Jesus ended up in Nazareth. Just like all of us have a story of wow, how we ended up in Downey, or how ended up in Pico, or how ended up in Montebello, or how ended up wherever you ended up, we all have a story, well this was Jesus' story, how he ended up there, but we also see that God was in control of where he ended up. So you can have peace today knowing that no, you, maybe you love where you live and maybe you don't love where you live. And it may be temporary, but just know that God is also controlling where you live. Amen? It's a little extra in there. You can receive that. Amen? And a little, little bonus in there. So let's go to John chapter 1. Let's see what kind of place Nazareth is known for. John chapter 1. A couple books over here. And we're going to look at verse 45 through 46. Can somebody please read that? John chapter 1, verse 45 through 46. <coughs> Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. <laughs> wow, what a word, eh? <laughs> what a word. It says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Okay? It had nothing to do with Jesus. It had to do where, where he was from. You ever heard that? Where are you from? You know, so it's like, you know, it's sometimes, yeah, sometimes where we grew up or where we come from can affect how people may see me and you. Oh, you're from there? You know, it's like, oh, I heard it's rough over there, you know, or oh, that's a nice area. Everybody has these areas. So they're hearing that Jesus is from Nazareth and automatically Nathaniel just like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the reason why is because it says here that 
Um, Nazareth was despised by the Jews because a Roman army garrison was also stationed there. But also, Nazareth was known to have a bad reputation. They were basically despised and rejected people because of their moral, religious beliefs, how they lived and what they did. So a lot of the Jewish people just kind of saw them as the lowly part of the world. Like, as a, just as a, as a class, like, you did not want to be from Nazareth. You didn't want to associate with those from Nazareth. So now you're finding out Jesus, the one who's going to be declaring he's the son of God, you find out, wait a minute. This guy's from Nazareth? Really? Like, how, can anything good come from there? You know, it's like, can anything good come from Pico Rivera? Can anything come good from Downey? Can anything good come from whatever city or wherever you're from? You know, you, you'll get asked that question. But what I love about that is because the Bible says that Jesus was also despised and rejected. So even though they may have associated with him with Nazareth, that's okay because that's who Jesus came to identify himself with. Because he also knew what it was like to be judged from where you were from, your background, and what people thought about you even before they really knew you. Jesus went through this, and we see this here. Early Christians are found in Acts chapter 26, verse 9. Their, their names were known as Nazarenes. So some forms people would call Christians Nazarenes. And to this day, it's said that some Muslims still refer to Christians as Nazarenes. But what I love about this is that when we read about Jesus of Nazareth, think about it this way. How many of us in here have been restored by Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. We've been restored by Jesus Christ. So how many of us know that not only can he restore you, but he can also restore where you came from? He can restore your background. He can restore your upbringing. He can restore anything and anywhere you've been. He can restore and He has restored when you've chosen to put your faith in Him. Because no matter if you came from a good neighborhood, you came from a bad neighborhood, no matter where you came from, because you've been restored in Jesus, you have life. And no longer can they look at you and say, oh, you should be like them and this and no. You've been saved and bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And right here, this name in this place, Nazareth, would now be known Jesus of Nazareth. That's where Jesus was from. So whatever rejected or lowly or whatever, however they saw him, I mean, however they saw that place, now there was a new name attached to that place. It was Jesus of Nazareth. Just like you hear rappers, you hear sports athletes, you hear all these people come from these places. And yeah, they come from some rough areas. But now they're not just known for that. They're also known for the person who came out of that area. They're known for that person who came out of that city or out of that place. So it's amazing the power that Jesus has in that name. And he, can, and he can have that in your life as well. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. And it says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. So again, they're hearing this word Nazareth and already it's kind of like, really? Yeah. Do I really want to hear this? But it doesn't stop Peter. He goes on to say, A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So look at right here. He throws Jesus' name out, Jesus of Nazareth. But now he's saying attested, and that attested is to be approved, to declare, to show, to prove what kind of person anyone is, to prove by an argument, or even to prove by a demonstration. 
So when he's saying this tested you by God, he's saying to be approved by God. He proved himself that he was from God. And he's telling them how he did that. He did it with mighty works, with wonders, with signs that God did through him in your midst. And not only that, he's saying, as you yourselves know, you guys saw the miracles. You guys saw the wonders. You guys saw the signs that even you couldn't describe in how he did these. Remember, they ask him, whose authority are you doing this in? And he challenges them, and then because they're unwilling to answer, then he says, then neither will I tell you on what authority I do. So my question to you is, this is going to be a pop quiz. <laughs> we just went through the book of Luke. We went through the Gospels. I pray you're reading your Bible. So let me ask a couple of questions out here. What are some of the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Jesus in the scriptures that we remember? He went healing and healing and healing. But give me some details. Give me some. Give me some details. He brought um, sight to the blind. Okay. Brought, um, hearing to hearing and healing. Uh, raised the dead and cast out demons. He walked on water. Yeah. Amen. I'm missing some. No. Yeah. Any. Any he exact. The wine. I mentioned that. Yeah. In the cave that was. That knew him, that he was God, even though he wasn't one of his servants. Yeah. Okay. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, is it Kathy? He ministered faith when he says, "Your faith has made you whole." Yes, he did. Yes. Anybody else? Killed that fig tree. Oh yeah, yeah. Cursed that fig tree at the root, man. That's right. Anything else? What about the woman with the issue of blood? Yeah. What about the Roman, the Roman um, centurion that came over and he says he, t- he's, he, he heals his servant and the other one he heals his son. <laughs> and he took him at his word and he got back and it was healed. Yes. He would put an ear back together. Oh. Put an ear back on. Yeah, he put that one on. Yeah. And he, <laughs> would the man on the cross, the thief on the cross, would that? Oh, yes, definitely. Amen. Today you will be with me in paradise. That guy's worst day turned into his most, the greatest day of his life. Yeah. Even though it was the last day on life, regular life. But it was his first day of eternal life. Amen. Anybody else? Any other ones? Any other ones that come to mind? What's close to you? What, what do you hold on to? What's one of the scriptures in the Bible? The one of the many mighty works, wonders, signs that Jesus did. Oh, well, he prophesied to Peter about when the rooster would crow. Yeah. Ooh, exposed his heart, man. Yeah, that was yeah. Some might not see that as a sign, but that was definitely the truth right there, man. And he exposed him on that, but he also restored him. He also restored him. Anybody else? Yes, yes. more of his teachings, like the example of the Mary and Martha. Amen. Yeah, that's right. His teachings. Amen. Changing tables. <laughs> he went and flipped over tables. Yes, Elder. Uh, he fed like thousands with just that's the bread and... The five that fed the five thousand, yes, and it says that even it could have been up to twenty to twenty-five thousand people, including women and kids. Amen. And this is just stuff that we know about that's in the... Oh yeah, and the book of John says if everything was written in the Bible, there would be not enough room to store everything that he did. There was just so much stuff that Jesus did. You know, but what's there is what he wanted us to know. Amen. And so, those are many things that Jesus did. And they knew. And they knew. He but rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, yes. Amen. That's our greatest, that's our greatest miracle. Great, one of the greatest testimonies right there. Amen. Well, because he rose from the dead, we can say, oh, that's why I just 
Yes, amen. I think she reading your notes. <laughs> right? Amen, amen. She's been studying on that, huh? Amen. So let's look at a couple of scriptures of why he did this. Hold your place here in Acts, but let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. If somebody can please read that. Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. You said 9, 6 through 8? Um, chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. It's Matthew. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept over the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for sending the man with such great authority. Amen. Let's go right over the next book, the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, next book over. And uh, Vanessa, would you read verse 21 through 28? Because you brought something out on that, so I want you to... It was uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. 21 through 28? Yeah. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum mm-hmm. when the Sabbath day came. He went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the Synagogue. Synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At the devil, at that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about the Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Amen. So we see here that Jesus' purpose as he was here, he was teaching, and he was teaching not just with words, but he was teaching and displaying in demonstration his authority. And the authority he had and how he did that is with the signs, wonders, and miracles. Because not only was he a man of his words, he was a man of action in his words. Because in that it proved that Jesus was not just speaking to speak, he was speaking and he was speaking life. And right here you see he's teaching and during the teaching he's speaking with such authority and not only that, a demon gets cast out during the service. That is amazing. That is the power of God in that. So why was it so important that they recognized Jesus' authority, the authority that Jesus had? Why do you believe that that was so important that Jesus' authority was recognized here? Because that's what these two portions of Scripture had to do with. It had to do with the authority. He says, now that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to not only forgive sins, he tells the man, get up and walk, pick up your mat and walk. He displayed that. And then right here, he's teaching, and they're recognizing he's teaching with authority. And not only that, he uses that authority to command that demon to let go of that man. You had something, Summer? Um, I think it's important 
that Jesus has authority and that people recognize his authority because otherwise if you try to use his name, uh, it would mean nothing. And trust me, when you're battling demons, they can tell when you are a true believer or not. They can tell. And you got to recognize who your God is. You got to know the authority of your God and recognize who the authority is. Because it's very important to understand why Jesus was displaying and acknowledging and showing them his authority and letting them know where that authority is from. He's the Messiah. Let's go to John chapter 10, verse 18. If somebody can please read that one. John chapter 10, verse 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For that is what my Father has commanded. Amen. So imagine that. He's displaying the authority and is speaking in the word of the Lord with the authority of the Father. The Father gave them all authority. But what He was preparing for them is to show that not only does He have the authority to lay down His life, but He also has the authority to lift, to raise up His life again. You see the Trinity in there. It's all three working as one. All three working as one. Because that was the ultimate goal was to know that he would raise again on the third day. And this is why it was so important that they recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. And he tells them, these are the signs and wonders and miracles that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. There was no denying in this message that they saw these things. They witnessed a lot of the things that Jesus was doing. And if they, even if they didn't witness it, they heard about it. I mean, come on, Lazarus was raised from the dead and he's living among them. This is a man that was in a tomb for four days and Jesus called him out of the tomb. They even wanted Lazarus dead because it was like, this is, I mean, we can't fight against this. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it was just too much for them, but they could not deny the authority of Jesus Christ. So verse 23, he goes back. This Jesus, so he's reminding them, the Jesus of Nazareth, the one I just told you about all these, the one that you know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So now what he's doing, he's bringing some truth in here. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. Because how many of us know that this was not hidden from God? We're going to go back to Acts, but we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to read this whole scripture in here, starting from verse 1. So Isaiah 53 says, in verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young, a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. We read that earlier. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people." And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. But look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors, Amen? So let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read this portion again. Because he makes it known to them here. He says in verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? Of God. He's reminding them, this was all predestined. This was the will of God. But what he's doing is he's now bringing in accountability. Because he's also reminding him, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus, though it was, it was already planned, it was a definite foreknowledge of God, but yet you still have a responsibility in this because this is the one you guys crucified. Right. He's reminding them of this. So let's go to John chapter 18. Let's see how the, let's see how the, uh, the Pharisees and, and all the people kind of work this out here. John chapter 18, verse 31 through 32. Somebody could please read that. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are committed to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell, tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people are their leading priests, and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
Amen. So we see here, he says, and you killed them by the hands of lawless men. Some of your translations say them Romans, but it's really referring to lawless men or men without law. And we see how they worked all this out. Even Pilate caught him. He says, why don't you kill him? Why don't you sentence him? Oh, because it's against our law. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give him to you. That's why we need you to do it. Because in our law, we can't kill him. Talk about... I mean, this is, you know... Okay, let's go to, let's go to Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at another portion here. And how many of us know, you ever heard the phrase, game, recognize game? <laughs> okay. Well, well, it's like a liar will recognize another liar. You know, just different things like that when you're kind of in the same, same thing. So think about it this way. There's some manipulation going on. There's some, definitely some things going on to get their way. And how many of us know that Pilate knew how to get this done as well? So he recognized these guys are, you know, there's, there's a whole motive behind this. It was just to get their way. So this is what Pilate does in this, in this portion of Scripture, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24 to 25. He says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on all on our children. Yeah, they just, I mean, yeah, they just brought curses upon themselves right there. And then as we read and we studied in the book of Luke in AD 70, that all came to pass. You know, they called that upon themselves. But see, Pilate recognized that. And even though Pilate washed his hands, we know that he was just, he's guilty as well because he knew what he was doing. But at this point in time, they didn't care. They just wanted their way and they were going to work it out the best way they can do it to get their way. And that was to use at the hands of lawless men. But I remember, and I believe I've shared this many times growing up, I didn't really ever understand why Jesus died the way he did. And many times I always looked at it, well, those Romans, man, they killed Jesus, man. You know, and I had this like dislike and hate for the Romans because I'm like, the Romans killed him. Because that's what you always see. You see the Roman soldiers and all of that. But then later as I grew up and I started to read the Bible, I'm like, wait, Rome was only a tool. Yeah. It, was the, it was the Jewish people that set all this up. And of course, as you read on, then you recognize, well, I put them up there. And then we recognize that God was in control of the whole thing. But the reality is, it wasn't just the Romans, but yet, because they're the face in the front, they're the ones that take the rap. For those that don't know the whole story behind it. Remember, there's always a whole story, right? So I didn't know the whole story yet. It wasn't until later that I got to figure that out. And he's reminding them of that. He's saying, and killed by the hands of lawless men. You guys set all this up. So he's bringing all that out to them. So they may have been innocent in their own eyes. But how many of us know that they were guilty in God's eyes? So even though they were self-righteous in their own eyes, according to them, they did everything according to the way they were supposed to do it according to the law. We didn't kill them. We didn't put them on the cross. But yet they were still guilty in God's eyes. Because they knew in their heart what they were plotting to do and what their intentions were. And all Peter is doing is just bringing this out. 
So now this next portion is verse 24 to 28, and it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Oh, so now he's, now he's bringing out life. He's saying, this Jesus of Nazareth, that you saw do the signs, wonders, and miracles, this Jesus, that even though God knew all of this, but you crucified him by the hands of lawless men, but this Jesus, God raised him up. God raised him up. This is the hope. This is the, this is the power of the message. The whole thing is, but this is where now he's starting to get their attention. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Can you explain to me... The Holy One will not see corruption. We're going to get there right now. We're going to get there right now. So, he's now declaring and saying that God raised him up. And to loose is to be freed. He freed him from death. So, if somebody would like to read Romans 8.11, please. You can turn there and read Romans 8.11, and if somebody can prepare 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 58, please. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me and you today. Yeah. And the other scripture would be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 58. If somebody can please read that. 15, verse 50 through 58. 15? Yeah, 15 through 50, 50, uh, chapter 15, verse 50 through 58. Yes. I'm reading on the King's James. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Yes. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is brought to Yes, yes. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 
The sting of death is sin, and the strengthening of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Old death, where is your victory? Old death, where is your sting? Swallowed up in the grave. So we see here, he is declaring, God raised him up and loosed the pangs or the pains of death. So what was supposed to happen did happen, but it didn't stay happened. And I'll explain that. See, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, the Bible says that our faith would be futile, it would be meaningless. Without the resurrection of the dead. If they were able to produce Jesus' body and bring forth Jesus' body and bring it out, then our faith would be null and void. It would be null and void. Because then he wouldn't be everything he said he is. But the reality is they couldn't find his body. His body was no longer in the grave. And they were never able to produce Jesus' body. And why is this so important? Because it proves to us in this. His word can be trusted. The sacrifice was acceptable to God. We have now complete forgiveness. We know he is alive and active. We know he is able to help in time of need. And it means we too one day will conquer death. And all this is based upon the empty tomb. We have this hope today because the tomb is empty. And because we have a risen Christ. We have a risen Lord. Yes, Summer. Uh, Our flesh might experience the physical death, but our spirit uh, is going to live on because of God. And what I find interesting is not saying, oh, death words victory. It's like death words even your sting. That's almost like... A double punch, like... Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it's everything in there. It's everything in there. And what I love about this, and to get to your question, in verse 27, this is actually found in Psalm 16, verse 8 through 11. This is a prophetic word by David. And the Bible does call him a prophet. And right here it says, in verse 27, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. And that could be seen as the grave and death. In other translations, it may say hell. In other translations, it may say Sheol. Now, there's many different thoughts of what it's referring to Hades. But in the simplest term of it, it's referring to the realm of the dead or the place of the dead or departed spirits. These were different words and different ways of how they described to go to death. My belief is that it's referring to the grave, the literal grave, not necessarily hell. That's my question. And the reason why I believe that is because on the, le- the next portion it says, or let your holy one see corruption. And when that word corruption, it's actually referring to decay. Yeah. To, oh, to decay. Oh, is that what that means? To decaying, yes. Oh. And that's pretty much a body after it's in the grave. Like Lazarus. Like, four, four days dead. Four days dead. And how many of us know, if you go dig up a grave, I mean, you're going to see, you know, it, it's decayed flesh. Over time, the flesh just starts to decay. Yeah, and that's all it is. It's referring to the grave. It's referring that he did not allow him to see decay. His body, because remember that Jesus Christ was raised 
physically and spiritually as a glorified body. Yes. Okay, was, I got it now. And there was witnesses to him. Yes. He was here for 40 days. Yes. So everything that they saw, his hands, his side. Oh, yes. And all the witnesses seen that he was the risen Christ. There's no doubt that he was the he, There's no doubt he was the risen Christ. He showed that. He said, look at my hands, look at my side. And because there's many, there's some teaching out there that he only raised as a spirit. No. But no, he rose in bodily form, flesh. the flesh. He rose, but he rose in that glorified body compared with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit, which we don't fully have an understanding of it, but we know and believe it because we see later in the resurrection that Jesus was able to appear and disappear. He was able to pop in on them with locked doors. So he was able to do a lot more than he was able to do in the flesh. Now he has a glorified body, but that physical body did raise up to a body that was corrupted into an incorruptible body. Okay. to a glorified body. And the Bible says that me and you too will do the same. So he's acknowledging and he's, de- he's, de- he's describing this portion of the prophet of Scripture that was a prophetic word that came forth. And what did we learn about a prophet? How do we know that David was a prophet? Comes true. So right here he is declaring what David said here and he's saying that now this has happened. Okay. This is what happened here. So, think about this next portion as we're going to be ending in this portion of Scripture here. He says in verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence. So Peter is now saying this, and he has no doubt. He has no fear. He is now saying, I am saying this with confidence. That word confidence here is a freedom in speaking, an unreservedness of speech. So this speech is not reserved. He's not wondering, am I going to offend somebody? He's not worried about, is this politically correct? He's not worried about, is anybody going to agree with me? No, he is speaking this with confidence. In another translation, it may say he's speaking freely. And that word again, it's open to be open, to be frank, to be without concealment, nothing to hide, to be free and fearfulness, I mean to be free and fearless and cheerful courage, boldness and assurance. So Peter is now declaring this with confidence. He is declaring this as the truth. He is declaring this without any doubt in his mind or in his heart and whether they believe it or not. Just like in the book of Ezekiel, he says, you take the word of God, you You declare it whether they believe you or not is not up to you. You bring my word as I give it to you. And when you do so, you bring it in its truth and your hands are clean. So Peter here is now standing in boldness and confidence and assurance, freely speaking what he knows and firsthand has seen. And he says it with confidence here. He says about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So he is speaking some reality. David spoke this scripture, but you and I know that he died and his body's still in the tomb today. So he's letting them know this was not David speaking of himself. He's just being real. He's being, he's speaking reality, but he's saying it with confidence and he's saying being there for a prophet. And again, we said he's a prophet because it came to pass. 
And knowing that God had sworn with a note to him that he would set one of his ascendants on his throne. And that's referring back when he told him you will always, you can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12 to 13. He says, I will establish your kingdom forever. And yes, he's referring some parts to Solomon, but how many of us know Solomon didn't live forever? That's Jesus. It's because Jesus would come from the lineage of David. And he would establish his throne forever in Jesus. And he kept that promise. In verse 31, it says, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And he refers back to the scripture that he is, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David's in the tomb. His body's decayed. His bones are probably there. But Jesus is not. Gotcha. He is no longer in that grave. And he's reminding him of this in the scripture. And again, now he says, this Jesus again, he keeps going back. This Jesus reminding him everything has been brought out. God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. So witnesses, a spectator of every, of anything. We've read also a martyr, someone who's willing to die for the cause and their belief, someone who's killed for their belief. And we know many of them, pretty much all the disciples were killed except John. And it says here also in the Webster's, it's also be looked as a testimony, an attestation of a fact or an event. One that gives evidence. One who has personal knowledge of something. Something serving, serving as evidence of proof. So Peter's not only speaking from a place of something he's heard. Peter is speaking from a place that he saw. <laughs> Peter saw the death. Peter saw the resurrection. Peter saw the ascension. And now he's telling them, and you are now all witnesses that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody now is a witness that they got to hear them speaking in their languages and other tongues. But yet every one of them heard them, them speaking in their own language, telling about the mighty works of God. And there was no denying this. They could not deny what they heard. And Peter is now only declaring what now he has seen and heard. And he is declaring everything that he saw. And now he's not only that, he's now getting an understanding of what was going on. In verse 33, he says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Just what we're saying right now. This is the promise that Jesus said. That he would pray the Father that he would send. Thank you, Jesus. And that was to send his Holy Spirit. Amen. But now he's not just telling them about it. He's saying, this is the promise that you're seeing now at work. This is what you just heard. This is what you're seeing. It's the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's also confirmation and also assurance that everything Jesus said he is, he is. In declaring this to the people. What I love about this is, is that each one of me and you are now witnesses of Christ. Because maybe we weren't there in the actual physical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today you're here because Jesus, God drew you by His Son, by His Spirit. You're still here today because God has done changes in your heart and in your life that only you can know that only He could do. Mm -hmm. He knows stuff about you and loves you so much 
been so patient with me and you. And you could be assured and know that your God is the risen Christ. And that He is faithful to you. You're a witness in this world. No matter where you were brought up, no matter your background, no matter you had all money, you didn't have no money, whatever it was, doesn't matter. Because it's a matter of who you are now in Christ. And we could also be those witnesses. Look at John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 real quick. Let's turn there real fast. Hold your place in Acts though. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. I'm going to read this. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How many of us know that when Peter was speaking here, there was rivers of living water flowing out to these people. There was life speaking out to these people. Peter was not speaking to condemn them. He was speaking, just giving them truth. He was speaking life. He was speaking Jesus to them. And in verse 39, it says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what we're seeing here is now Jesus has been glorified. The Holy Spirit has been, has now come and filled his people. And now those rivers of living water, that life given word of Jesus is now flowing out to these people by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through Peter and declaring all the praises of God. And not only that, he's confirming the word of God that was spoken from long ago. And he says in verse 34, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Psalm 110, verse 1. Now he's giving them understanding to what the scripture and who the scripture was referring to. And he's letting them know again, again, this is not about King David. This is about King Jesus. But what I love about that is he's explaining it to them with understanding. Because he knows, they know the scriptures. They've read these scriptures. They talk about these scriptures. They wonder, who is the scripture referring to? And he's declaring in freedom and liberty, saying, it's talking about Jesus. This is who it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus. Remember Ezra? We read it last week, I believe. It says that Ezra got up and read this from the law. But not only did they read from the law, but they also brought understanding to understand the law. So now Peter is bringing understanding and referencing in reality so they can know that it's all talking about Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse 29, it says... The woman at the well says, could this be the Christ? Come see the man who told me all the things I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? And in this portion of Scripture, verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, 
That's a stamp. That is it. I, let all the house of Israel know that God has made him now both Lord and Christ. Done. This Jesus whom you crucified. Ooh. Talk about the truth coming out. How many of times has the word of God hit you there? Hit you in the heart. But always know that God is not allowing that word to come forth to destroy you or condemn you. It's to bring a reality and acknowledgement that we've sinned against the Lord. I think the Holy Spirit brings a conviction. Yes. That's the power and the authority of God's word and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It's like somebody shared with me a long time ago. I was up, I, I was one day bringing the word of the Lord or something, and I said something like, I hope this word ministers to you. And I was approached after, and I'm glad he did. He says, He just gave me words of advice. He says, Don't ever hope the word of God will minister to somebody. If you believe the Word of God to be so, then believe that it has all the authority to do all He says He's going to do. And that brought into my heart, i got to preach and teach this Word with conviction. But I also got to receive this Word with conviction. Recognizing that it's not, a, it's, not it's, it's His Word. And believing and knowing that His Word is faithful. We're going to close up with these scriptures here. In John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 35 to 36. He says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's go to John 13, 3. Couple chapters over. says here, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God, and was going back to God. So who did He have all this from? Lord. The Father. Yes. From God. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. See, God is God above all. And Jesus is Lord above all. Don't ever doubt. Don't ever have a fear. Don't ever try to sugarcoat who Jesus is. 
one of my biggest convictions is, is we can agree, disagree on a lot of things. That's fine. As long as we never disagree on the gospel and who Jesus is. That's the only thing I will not stand in, in agreement with is that I can agree to disagree, but not when it comes to the gospel and who Jesus is. <laughs> because if we try to change who Jesus is, Amen. then we're changing the gospel. Ooh, wow. So all those disagreements that we may have, like I said, in many things, a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different areas, that's fine. Doesn't change, but as long as it doesn't change who Jesus is. Yes. That's our main focus on there. I apologize, but I need that. We tried to change who Jesus is. What did you say? I don't remember. That we change what the gospel is. Amen. You would change actually who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you would change everything. You would change everything. Yeah, it's God speaking through you. That's why you don't remember. Yeah, I got to listen too, huh? I got to listen too, man. Somebody wrote that that uh, President Carter had said something about Christians that was totally erroneous, and somebody called back and said, "Look, you know, he." He is an infallible God is. So that's exactly a perfect answer for that. Yes. And you know what? And this is just to give us that confidence and that boldness, that freedom to know that we can declare who Jesus is. Because always remember, it's God looking to draw those back to himself. He says, Jesus, whom you crucified, which we end with, but will start us off for next week. It's always to get to the heart of people, not to condemn them, not to tell them how messed up they are. It's to tell them who Jesus is and everything that he did for them. One of the greatest ways we can do that is in the lives we live. But it also can be in our words. It could be the life that we speak into somebody's life, not to tear each other down, but to build each other up. To declare that and to know that you can have confidence. We might not know a lot of different things. We might kind of shy away from a lot of different things. Well, because I don't really know this. I'm not really educated in this. I really don't. And I'm the first in that. But I am confident in who my Lord is. Because I know what He's done for me. And I know who He is in my heart, in my life. And therefore, that's why I'm able to tell you and tell others about Him. And that's the freedom that we have, and that's the confidence I mean you can have today, is that you know who Jesus is and all that He's done for you. So you can have confidence in being able to share that love with others. Amen? That's what the third person of the Trinity is all about. Yes. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. Yes. It gives us that confidence and that boldness to walk out this life as a Christian. Yes. So you really do have to know who you are as a Christian, you really have to know who your God is. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And this is what the Holy Spirit is filling them for. It's so they can have that confidence to be able to declare who God is, who Christ is, freely and confidently. Anybody else have any last thoughts, any comments? Any? I think a lot of times as Christians, um, especially if you're brought up in the Pentecostal, <laughs> is that we think of the Holy Spirit not as a person. Yes. We think of it as a force or oil or fire or different things. But he's a person. Yes. He's a third person of shooting. And I think that's where sometimes people miss it and why a lot don't really want to know about him or what he does. Yes. Amen. Amen. He is a person and it's getting to know him, spending time with him. 
and knowing that He's with you always. Amen? Amen. Any other thoughts, any questions before we dismiss tonight? Yes, Summer. Um, I think a lot of times the reason why Christianity gets so persecuted so easily is because people don't want to look at their own lives. They don't want to see the things that they need to change and fix about themselves. Yeah, and that's one of the main things. Let me encourage you with this as we close up tonight. Don't worry about everything else that's going on out there. And, you know, I'm not saying we don't pray for it. I'm not saying we don't stand our ground. You know where you stand. People will change things. They'll change the gospel, whatever it is. That's between them and God. As long as you don't change, you keep the gospel, the gospel. You be that one in this world that is immovable. You be that one in this world that will not allow anyone to tell you that Jesus is any different. You be that one. And you live in that life knowing who your God is. You'll see things change around you because of it. It's when we start to focus on all the other stuff and we start to speak against and we start to argue and all these different things that we're not really called to do. We're not called to argue. We're called to live in truth and know that truth and that truth is in Jesus. It'll save me and you a lot of time, a lot of arguments, and a lot of other things. And you know, you don't have to be offended if somebody asks you a question about Christianity. Because many times the reason why we're offended is because we don't understand it. That's why many times people get offended at questions of Christianity or they don't want to see things or they don't want to hear things. It's because we don't fully understand it ourselves. And that's okay. We're not always going to fully understand it. But if you know who your God is, then you won't be offended by it because whether that person believes it or not, you can still share with them. But that's okay. I believe in Him. I know Him. And I can still pray for you. That's okay. And that's a peace that me and you can have in that, is that we know who Jesus is. And we pray that they will also come to know who Jesus is. Amen.